Well, hey, good morning and uh, welcome in. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at FBC. And let me just say uh, that I'm so glad that you are here wherever you are in the world. And however you may be tuning in, uh, I'm glad that you're a part of our worship service. Uh, We've been spending some time working through the book of Psalms this summer in a series we've called Learning to Pray, where we are taking one psalm each week and seeing how it can teach us how to engage with God in prayer. That's one of the beautiful things about the Psalms is they can put language to so many of the things that we are feeling and often we don't always know how to express ourselves to God in prayer or what to say. So the Psalms kind of put words to to so many of the things that we want to say and can teach us to pray. So that's what we've been up to this summer. Glad that you're here another week. And uh, would you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to jump in this morning? Father, we thank you for the gift of another Sunday. And even though we are not in the same room, God, we are uh, eager to worship you, to look to your word together, to as your people uh, learn and grow and understand more fully who you are. So God, would you speak to us by your word? Would you help us understand what we read? Would you soften our hearts and prepare us, Lord, to uh, engage with you? And I pray, Lord, that you would convict us and challenge us and shape us more and more into uh, the men and women that you want us to be. Help us follow you, Jesus, faithfully and use this time to spur us on. Uh, We love you, and it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, friends, we are in Psalm 121 today, so I encourage you, grab a Bible, open up with me to Psalm 121, and the psalm needs very little introduction. Uh, you heard it read a few minutes ago, and it starts with this question in, in verse 1 that says, where does my help come from? In times of danger and in times of fear as we journey through life, where do we look for help, for strength, for protection? Really, it's a timeless question, whether it's in the Old Testament in the ancient world or us in 2020 today. In what or in whom do we place our confidence and our trust? Whether we acknowledge or not or aware of it or not, we need an answer to that question. We want an answer to that question. And so today we're going to explore what Uh, the Bible has to say about that. Let's look again at how the psalm starts in verse 1. It says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, Psalm 121 is uh, interesting because it's a part of a greater collection of psalms called the Songs of Ascent. And maybe you notice in Uh, your Bible, at the beginning of the psalm, there's a little note in there that says, Song of Ascents. That gives us a little bit of context here. This was one of the uh, about 15 psalms that would be sung out loud as pilgrims in the Old Testament made their journey, made their way to the city of Jerusalem for one of the uh, annual feasts or seasonal celebrations in the Old Testament. So as these pilgrims were on the journey up to the city of Jerusalem, they would sing and reflect and recite these psalms. And so on the journey to Jerusalem, there would be uh, danger, 
difficulty at times, they could look to the surrounding hills and mountains that would be cause for some concern. The mountains held difficult terrain. Often uh, robbers would hide and wait there. Often there would be wild beasts to fear. And so there are plenty of concerns on this pilgrim's journey. And so naturally, the question at the end of this, I, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, I see these concerns. Verse 1, where does my help come from? And really, this psalm can be taken as a parable for the whole of life, not just something to sing for the pilgrims in the Old Testament uh, on this journey up to Jerusalem, uh, but for us today as really pilgrims on the journey of life, extending into eternity, navigating lonely and dangerous territory. We need to know where to look for help. And the answer comes immediately in the psalm in verse 2, right? Where does my help come from? Well, verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So the Lord is my help. The people of God are to remember that the sovereign, almighty creator of heaven and earth and everything in between, he is the one that we look to for help and for protection, And what we see in the rest of the psalm as we unpack it is this uh, description of the comprehensive care of God for his people. In a variety of ways, the psalm is going to assure us of God's constant hand upon our lives. Look with me at verse 3. It says, as it continues, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So God gives us a solid foundation, a firm footing, it says, so we will not slip. We will not stumble. We will not fall into destruction. And further, verse 4 says, He who watches over Israel, watches over his people, will neither slumber nor sleep. And that's one of those lines that we could kind of just read, oh, that's kind of cool, and move past. But I think we need to just take a moment to reflect on this powerful image that God doesn't slumber or sleep. I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, uh, needing to sleep has made me anxious, especially now that I'm a parent, I have kids, I want to be alert, I want to be aware, I want to be able to respond to a crisis. But when you sleep, think about it, when you sleep, You are unconscious for hours. You can't look after yourself or anyone else when you're asleep. And that actually sometimes is hard for me, especially if we're traveling, if we're staying in an Airbnb or somewhere new and I don't know the lay of the land. I get a little worried at night. Like, are we going to end up in some kind of murder mystery documentary? You know, maybe uh, something's going to jump out of the closet at us. Maybe I'm just watching too much TV. I don't know. But if you have control issues like I can sometimes. Again, sleeping can be a problem and cause anxiety. But the good news is Psalm 121, verse 4. What do we just read? It says, He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So God doesn't doze off or have to rest. In fact, other uh, ancient so-called gods in the ancient world or, or idols were often criticized because they wouldn't respond to their people who are trying to follow them, and they would say, well, the gods must be asleep. They're not paying attention. We have to try and wake them up. They're asleep on the job again. But, but the people of Israel in the Old Testament say, our God 
does not sleep. We don't have to try and wake him up or worry about if he dozed off on the job. It makes you think of those movies where there's dangerous situations. Maybe uh, companions are traveling by night trying to get somewhere and they have to be alert at all times and so they'll take turns sleeping and some of them will, you know, I'll take the first night watch and you guys get some sleep and then we'll, they'll take turns sleeping and watching. This tells us that God takes the night watch for us every night. And so I can go to sleep at night because God will be awake. So I don't have to be. And notice the contrast here between God and us, humans. We have to sleep. I've heard one pastor say, sleep is our nightly declaration that we aren't God. I love that. Sleep is our nightly declaration that we aren't God. God. And so built into the human experience, into our very existence, is the daily reminder that we are finite and that we need sleep. Now, often we don't get enough sleep. Can I get an amen? Parents especially, can I get an amen? We don't get enough sleep, but in general, we sleep every day. We have to Recognize that we're not God, but God never sleeps. He's always alert. He's always aware, watching over us. That brings comfort. The psalm continues, verse 5. Look at it. It says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, notice the repetition here. Verse 3, it says, excuse me, if we think back to verse 3, talks about he who watches over you. Then verse 4, again, it says the same word, he who watches over you. Now verse 5, what does it say? The Lord watches over you. This the same word is going to be used again twice in verse 7 and once again in verse, uh, verse 8. And so the Hebrew uh, root word here is shamar, which means to protect or to watch over or to keep. And so maybe your translation says, again in verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Again, this is the same word, the same idea. God watches over. He keeps his people. He guards. He protects. And so through repetition, you can see the theme of Psalm 121. Six times in eight verses, the Lord watches over you. He watches over you. He watches over you. He protects you. He keeps you. He keeps you. And again, it's clear in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch, verse 8, the Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So again, three more times, the Lord will keep you and watch over you and watch over you. And here we see in the text several uh, merisms. Okay, this one's here for, for the grammar nerds in the house. Merisms. Uh, merisms are a uh, frequent thing in the Old Testament. Uh, you'll see uh, it's basically a figure of speech where uh, two extremes are referred to in order to include everything in between. And so when it says in Genesis 1 that God created the heavens, the skies, and the earth, it's not saying that he only created the earth and the ground and the sky up above, but it's saying he created the heavens and the earth and everything in between. Or 
if we were to say today, I searched high and low for my keys. You wouldn't just be saying, well, I looked up on the high countertops and I looked on the ground. I looked just high and just low. Those are the two places I looked. No, your point is, I looked high and low and everywhere in between. The point is, I looked everywhere I possibly could. And so, we see these merisms in Psalm 121, verse 6. Whether you are traveling under the heat and threat of the desert sun by day, or the darkness and moon by night, God watches over you. Whether you're waking or sleeping, or verse 8, whether you're coming or going, whether it's now or forever, and everything in between, the Lord will watch over you at all times and all places. Now, if this is true, what sort of confidence should this bring into our lives? Think about it. If this is true, what sort of peace should this give us? Nothing can overpower God. Okay, he is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the text says, the sustainer and upholder of all things. Nothing can overpower God. Nothing can sneak past his watch, right? Our God, it says, neither slumbers nor sleeps. There's no situation that you can be in where God's resources are lacking somehow. Okay, everything belongs to him. So nothing can overpower him. Nothing can uh, slip past his watch. There's uh, no situation where his resources are lacking. And this God is for you. And this God loves you and watches over you. It should bring incredible peace into our hearts when we remember these truths. You know, unfortunately, what happens is we lose sight of these realities and we let anxiety and fear creep into our hearts. It's so common, so prevalent for us today to experience this. And so we can affirm these truths with our minds that God watches over us and He's good and all-powerful and loving, but they're not always real to our hearts. And so we do, do we believe Psalm 121? Do we rest in the love and care of God? I confess that, that lately this has been difficult for me. It's so easy for us to worry right now, isn't it? There's so much to worry about right now. And for our family specifically, we have a, a baby on the way, which we're excited about, but we also have, a, again, a foster son, Daniel, who's in our home, and, and his future is up in the air. And so there's some stress around what's going to happen. Are we going to be a family of five? Are we going to be a family of four? When is he going to go back to our parents? And uh, we're stressed because he's now resuming in-person visits, and so we're passing him back and forth. This little germ collector and carrier is going back and forth in a number of different people, and so that worries us about COVID. And one of the great things about our, our government and the county that we're working with is that they're uh, super inefficient. It's awesome. It's great. You know, everyone loves that about government. So it's difficult to know sometimes who do we talk to and who has answers for us. There's so many different people involved. Like, who, are, are people being honest with us? We feel like sometimes no one's looking out for us. We feel like uh, no one really cares about our situation because they all have so many other situations that they have to focus on that, that our situation doesn't get a lot of attention. It can be difficult. Maybe you can relate to worry and anxiety in your life right now. Maybe, again, naturally because of COVID and sickness, uh, the potential 
uh, for that in your own life or for your family members or someone you love, or maybe you're someone who's not as worried about COVID, uh, but you have fears still about government overreach in California or economic fallout ahead or the changes in our culture and the, the future America that our kids are going to inherit. Who, whoever you are, it seems that everyone is afraid of something right now. So where do we look? Some common coping strategies for stress today include hours of Netflix or Hulu, just to check out. Could include scrolling through social media, where you then wonder, where did our night go? We just spent a long time on social media. Maybe you engage in a little retail therapy, right? Some excessive shopping to make you feel better. Maybe for you it's drugs or alcohol. Maybe for you it's gossip because it feels so good when you can talk about other people who aren't doing very well because it makes you feel better. Maybe it means you act out sexually. Maybe it means you disengage from meaningful relationships. Maybe it means you get really worked up in politics looking to political leaders and ideologies for help or for answers. We all have places that we look for help in times of trouble, for relief, for protection, things that will give us what we need. But the answer that Psalm 121 gives us is entirely different from that list of options. Now, what do we say as Christians? We say what? Our help comes from the Lord. Even when we feel like no one sees us and no one's paying attention to us and no one cares about our pain, God sees. God knows. The Lord is our keeper. The Lord is the one who watches over us day and night. He is our strength. This is the Christian hope. And so friends, as we've been talking about this summer, we've been talking about prayer. This psalm helps us to pray because we can learn that prayer, again, is not just about bringing a list of requests to God. And prayer is more than just statements of praise or thanks. And prayer is more than just confessing sins to God. Prayer includes all of those things I just mentioned. They're all necessary, but Psalm 21 or 121 will show us kind of a different way to pray, a type of prayer that is more reflective, where we can calm our hearts, where we can sit before the Lord and meditate on His Word. This is a kind of prayer that is more contemplative, and sometimes those words meditation or contemplative prayer can, can, can worry us or sound like uh, mysticism or Eastern mysticism or different practices that we wouldn't endorse. But biblically speaking, uh, meditation is a good thing when rightly understood. Psalm 1, we are to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Contemplative prayer can be a good thing. Simply pausing and reflecting and filling our minds and our hearts with the truths of Scripture. So we can read about God and who He is and what he has done, and think over those realities in our minds and let them sink in to our hearts. This is an important practice in prayer, that we be quiet before the Lord and meditate on these truths that he's revealed about 
himself. Now, maybe for you, again, that seems strange or, or not that important. Like, just remember who God is, but it's very important. Dallas Willard, a well-known uh, Christian author, has uh, spent time writing about the enemy, Satan, the deceiver, and, and how the enemy wants to attack Christians and non-Christians, for that matter, bring destruction into our lives and into the world. And what he says about how the enemy operates might surprise you. He writes this. He says, when Satan undertook to draw Eve away from God, again, referencing back to Genesis chapter 1, Adam and Eve, when Satan undertook to draw Eve away from God, he did not hit her with a stick, but with an idea. It was an idea that God could not be trusted and that she must act on her own to secure her own well-being. So, when the enemy wants to attack us and bring destruction into our lives, most likely, today they're not going to meet us head on and, and attack us in some kind of horror movie, overt type of way. Instead, what the enemy wants to do is deceive us. Not going to hit us with a stick, but hit us with, what does it say, an, an idea. And the idea is that God isn't good. He's going to plant that question in your mind where you'll doubt the goodness of God. The enemy wants you to have that idea that you have to take matters into your own hands because no one's looking out for you. No one's watching over you. So do what you need to do, even if it goes against the word of God. And so this is why it's so important in prayer to go to God's word, to reflect on the truth of who he is, so when we're worried in prayer, friends, we can, of course, lift our requests up to God, but also sit in the truths of Psalm 121. God, you, I know you watch over me. I know you are my protector. I know that day and night, now and forever, in my going out and in my coming in, wherever I am, Lord, you are my keeper, and I can trust in you. Now, a natural question comes up when we consider Psalm 121. And the question is simply this, is it true? Because it's pretty strong language. Verse 3, like, the Lord won't let your foot slip. If you follow Jesus, you will not stumble. Verse 7, he'll keep us from all harm. All harm? I don't think I know anyone, Christian or not, who hasn't taken some falls and who hasn't been wounded in some ways. Many of us in big ways. And so is Psalm 121 really true? I think there are a couple of ways we can think about this to make sense of what the psalm is trying to tell us. And the first thing we need to realize is this. Uh, psalm 121 does not promise a cushioned life, but a well-armed life. And this is the way one commentator put it. Psalm 121 is not a promise of a cushioned, easy life, but a well-armed one. A life where we expect the dark valleys, but we're able to face them because the Lord is with us. So Psalm 121 cannot be taken as some blanket promise that, hey, you'll never face difficulties in life or you'll never face loss. In fact, if you read Scripture about uh, how the Lord 
carries us through difficult seasons, you'll see often that it's not that he pulls us away and removes us from the danger. It's that he sustains us and protects us through seasons of difficulty. And so we can say that Psalm 121 is true. God is our protector. God watches over us and over our lives, and he'll sustain us and strengthen us to face whatever dark valley it is we are walking through. The second thing we can say in response to this is that we may face danger and suffer loss and pain, and God will use those things for our good. Right? John 15 famously uses the image of a vine and a gardener and branches in the vine and bearing fruit. And that passage says what? That the Father prunes us. We are the branches connected to the vine of Christ, and the Father prunes the branches. There are times where God will prune us, will cut things off, cut things out of our lives. And that process might hurt. It might be painful. It might be difficult. It might leave us reeling, wondering why. But ultimately, it is for our good, that we would grow, that we would bear fruit, that we would grow closer to Jesus, that we would be more fruitful in our service to him and his gospel and his kingdom. And so there will be times where our plans will fall through. Our dreams will be dashed. Not because God is against us, but because he is for us. And let me say that again. There will be times where our plans will fall through and our dreams will be dashed. But that will not be evidence that God is against us. Instead, it may be evidence that God is for us. Because God knows that if he gave us what we asked for in our prayers, it could lead to a place where we wouldn't want to be. It could lead down a path that would lead us to lesser joy, something we thought was going to be good for us, but God knew that it wouldn't be. And so instead, he, he takes us on a different path. He redirects us because, again, he's for us and wants us to experience greater depths of joy and greater depths of intimacy with him than we would have otherwise. There's one other way we need to think about the promises of Psalm 121 and just acknowledge that there may be times and seasons of difficulty where we can't make sense of it. There will be times in our life where the equation doesn't add up and we will not know why God allowed or directed certain events in our life. There will be times where it feels like this psalm is not true, and we won't have some silver lining or clear thing we can point to to say, hey, look how God redeemed this or turned this around. There might be things that happen that are just awful and tragic, and we don't know what God's going to do with it. And we might go our whole lives without knowing. Two of my professors in, in seminary had wives who got sick and were plagued by disease and passed away relatively young. One from MS and one from a form of early onset dementia. And I watched as these men 
loved and cared for their wives in their final years until they recently passed away. Many prayers for, for healing and relief went unanswered. And, and these women that died and that got sick were, were servants of God. They loved Jesus. They loved the church. Carol Klingsmith, one of them, was a missionary in Austria. Rebecca Groteis was an author and servant of God. Both of them left a profound influence and impact by their ministry. And both of them left a profound sadness in their passing. And it's difficult to look at that situation and try to answer the question, why? And maybe you're with us this morning and you've experienced a similar loss, the loss of someone you love, the loss of a child, the loss of a parent, a friend, illness in in your own life. And it seems like even, even the best attempted explanations to try and make sense of why just don't quite satisfy. And at the end of the day, you're hurting and don't have a great answer. I found in those moments, it's best usually not to try and offer an explanation to someone who's hurting, not to start to muse on why you think this might be happening. If you read the book of Job, you see that's what Job's misguided friends do. You know, Job has lost everything and he doesn't know why. And his friends kind of come along and we're like, well, maybe it's because of this, Job. Or hey, maybe it's because this is probably on you. Have you been sinning more, more than usual lately? I'm not sure. This is probably uh, your fault. Let's think through this. This is how kind of the equation normally works in life. And so if, if this is how it normally works and this is what's happened with you, then clearly you did something wrong. Clearly, here's the explanation. And, and at the end of it, they get pretty firm talking to from God. God's like, they didn't know what they're talking about. But neither did Job. And we actually go the whole book and Job never gets an answer to why. God simply says, Job, those answers are above your pay grade. You're not really qualified to know why. And friends, I think well-intentioned Christians have have done a lot of damage in this way where we try to uh, offer platitudes or answers that we think will help people in their pain when really it's just it's tragic and it's messy and sometimes under the sun things simply don't add up and simply don't make sense. And I think in those moments we can acknowledge with humility we don't know why. We don't understand why God would choose to work things out in this way and it's painful and we can weep with people and leave it at that. At the end of the day, simply trust that, you know what, I believe that God is good and I believe that God is sovereign. Even if I don't understand why exactly this would happen, I can still trust that God is good some way, somehow I'm going to rest in that fact. And I think it's in those moments especially that we need to look to Psalm 121, verse 8. The Lord will watch over, over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. Now and forever. So there's this sense of eternity, this sense of perspective. This life now is not all 
that there is. So there's no end to the Lord's care for you. Even in death, the people of God can hope in the promise of resurrection and eternal life. This uh, reminds me of the words of Jesus in Luke 21. There he's preparing his disciples for what is ahead. And he says in verses 16 and 17, Hey, uh, family and friends are going to betray you. Uh, Some of you are going to be put to death. And everyone is going to hate you because you're following me. It's a great sales pitch. Okay, Great sales pitch. But, he says, verse 18, Not a hair on your head will perish. What do you mean, Jesus? You just said we were going to be betrayed, hated by everyone, and ultimately put to death. What do you mean we won't perish? Because again, with Jesus, there's the promise and the hope of resurrection and eternal life. And so Psalm 121, you may face calamity and danger, even death, but through it all, the Lord watches over you, now and forever, and you ultimately will not perish. Our short years here do not tell the whole story. And so my professors in seminary and their wives who died, they did not only trust in the Lord in this life for deliverance in this life. No, but they entrusted themselves to the Lord in life and in death, knowing that their whole being belonged to God and He would keep them and watch over them and guard them and ultimately raise them up to new life one day with him forever. So friends, this is the hope of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. Jesus died in our place on a cross carrying the sins of the world so that those who trust in him would be forgiven because he paid the penalty for our sins. So for those who follow Jesus and put our trust in him, we realize we've received the forgiveness of our sins. We have received a new life, a new identity as a child of God. We belong to a new family. We have new hearts. Not only this, but we have, again, the hope of eternal life, that we've been reconciled to God. We're now in right relationship with the God who made us, and we will live and walk with him and his people and his world forever. So friends, this is the Christian hope. And Psalm 121, we need to remember, is true for those who are the people of God. These are the people of God on their way to worship in Jerusalem, singing to the Lord. So these promises are true for the the family of God, those who have been reconciled to God, those who are adopted into the family of God. And how do we enter the family of God? It's through faith in Jesus. It's for all who trust in Jesus. We're united to him and are called sons and daughters of God. And so the promises and the truths of Psalm 121 do not apply to everyone. Think about that. These words and these promises don't apply to everyone in the world right now. They apply to those who have put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior and therefore are able to call God their Father. And tragically, Many have rejected the love of God and rejected the care of God and do not want to follow Jesus and recognize their need for forgiveness. They've chosen a life without the fatherly care 
of God, like the prodigal son in Luke 15 who runs away and doesn't want to live under the care and protection and provision of his father. So friends, this is a chance for us, for you, for each of us to, to come home. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, God's invitation to you is come home. Jesus says, come follow me. If you're weary and burdened, come follow me. Put your trust in me. He alone can lead us to life and forgiveness. He loves you so deeply. And he invites you to know him. And as we trust in him, we then realize that all the words of Psalm 121 are true for us, that God is our keeper. God watches over us now and forever. He is our help. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for the promises of Psalm 121. You watch over us. Lord, as we navigate a difficult and scary and challenging world, as we are pilgrims on the journey of life, there are many things that bring fear into our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us look to you in those moments and declare, as this psalm does, that my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He watches over us now and forever. And thank you, Jesus, that you died for our sins, brought us forgiveness and reconciliation and relationship with you. And all these promises are true because of your work and now that we belong to you. Thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, if you're here this morning and and, and you have not put your faith in Jesus, would love to follow up with you and talk with you more about what it means to follow him and, and, and respond to God. So there's a way to respond on the connection card or in the chat box. There's an opportunity to connect with us there. Um, also, we're going to sing one last song and then have uh, some time at the after party on Zoom. You'll see a link also in the chat box. And last reminder, hey, uh, tomorrow morning at 8.30, we're doing what we're calling Monday Morning Live, where I'm going to be on Zoom and would love to talk a little bit more about the passage from this morning, see what questions you have, and share a brief uh, morning devotional from about 8.30 to 9. Uh, would love to have you join us on Zoom. Check your email. You'll get the link.